Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Right timing and the right season to dive into this incredible book. The Lord began to show me some things throughout this book and some things in the coming days. And uh, in this Revelation series, I want to talk about uh, the days ahead. And that's the theme of uh, the book of Revelation as we go through it. We're gonna, I'm going to do a survey. I'm not going to so much do verse by verse. There'll be times I do ver- verse by verse. But I want to go over some of the things that represent the coming days. Uh, what is ahead? What does the book of Revelation teach us about the coming days that are ahead? And so we're going to look at that tonight. I'm going to begin tonight. And tonight I'm just going to begin with an introduction, an overview, and just give you some principles and just some promises that are in our first few verses of the book of Revelation, which is one of the most amazing books that is written. Many pastors are afraid to teach out of this book, are afraid to preach out of it. For what reason, I do not know. Because it's not a book that covers, it's a book that it unveils. And it is a book that reveals. And so in it is the teachings that God has given us so that we can understand and know the coming days that are ahead. And we're going to get into some things. We're going to get into some things that uh, in the coming weeks we're going to talk a little bit about what to expect in our world. What are we going to see? How are you going to know that we're living in the last days? How do you know that, 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 that there are going to be, what are some of the signs that we will see as we come into these coming days? Now, I'm not a Bible prophecy. I'm not a prophet. I'm not any of that. I'm just going to take you through the Word and just kind of uh, teach and survey this a little bit, share some things on my heart that I think is going to be interesting. And so we'll turn to the book of Revelation. Before we go, I want to mention, I want to thank again everybody that uh, gave us uh, pastor appreciation uh, cards and things. We love you all. Thank you so much. And we appreciate it. But um, what is neat is somebody uh, for pastor appreciation gave me a a three-volume series or three volumes of uh, this is my great, great uncle. Uh, This is my my grandpa's uh, father's younger brother. Uh, he was a theologian. His name is uh, Emil Bruner, and he taught at, at uh, Cambridge. He taught at the University of Switzerland, uh, and of course, he was born in 1889. But he has several books that he wrote, and someone gave me three copies of his books. And this is uh, Revelation and Reason, and it's an amazing book. But I want to read one of his quotes. Uh, that he uh, that he made because it's interesting because in this past year we have made the statement about living on mission and this is one of his major quotes it says this the church exists by mission just as fire exists by burning where there is no mission there is no church and where there is neither church nor mission there is no faith and how many know that's a powerful statement in other words the church should be living on mission praise God and so uh, God is good. Book of Revelation chapter 1. I want to read the first three verses of the book of Revelation here. And then we'll begin tonight and get right into this amazing, amazing book. And uh, verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Verse 3, this is our key verse tonight. Blessed, say blessed, is he who reads, he who reads, he who hears, 
the words of this prophecy and keeps those things which are written for a time, for the time is near. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. You know, many years ago in 2003, there was a, a father uh, by the name of Stuart Rushton. Him and his nine-year-old son, Adam, uh, has, had gone fishing in northwestern part of Great Britain, England, at a place called Morecambe Bay. It's an interesting. And while they were fishing, suddenly they were trapped um, in this swift incoming, um, um, uh, the swift incoming tide, and uh, and what eventually what happened is that they both had drowned while they were speaking to rescuers on the phone and was speaking to them on a cell phone, trying to reach the, uh, the rescuers were trying to reach them to get help. It was interesting because uh, they had gone fishing in uh, Macambi Bay in the area uh, where there are extremely treacherous tides uh, near their home. They live near there, and uh, some even said uh, that Rushton even knew how unpredictable the tides were in that portion of, of Great Britain and that portion of the country. After they had walked out uh, onto the sands for about 10 minutes, some estimated they walked out close to 300 yards and after they had walked out um, uh, on the sands, after about 10 minutes, a heavy fog rolled in and rushed and realized that they were lost and they made a 911 call and they were on the phone with 911. At 2.30, uh, he had called again and was still lost and the water was up to his neck while his son was on his shoulders while they were in the water. The fog had come so suddenly that visibility was only 25 yards. That's all that they could see was 25 yards. At 3.07, uh, Rushton said the water was up to his neck and his son was sitting on his shoulders. And he was, he, as he was talking in the phone, they could hear the sound of the water and the waves. And as the father was shouting, as the son was trying to give directions, and they, were, they knew that they were just a few hundred yards off the shore. But with the fog and the mist, they could not tell where they were. Rushton and his son uh, passed away, and the tides came in, and they were drowned. Uh, Rushton's body was found the next day. His son uh, was found down the bay, down on the coast uh, a, a, a while later. But the article went on to talk about uh, and went on to say that there at Morecambe Bay, the tides could reach as high as 20 feet long, these tidal swings, and they and was not uncommon, and the speed of these waves that came in on the sand was faster than what a man could even walk, and some run. And so as I read this story and thought about this story, I thought to myself, here's a man trying to have a good time fishing, and a fog moves in, and he cannot tell his direction. The tide begins to rise, and uh, he cannot outwalk it. And, um, and his son is on the shoulders, and here we have this father and son who perish suddenly. It was unexpected, just like that. It was, it was on. And he was aware of what could happen. He lived in the area. Many said that he was aware of the shifting tides, the swinging tides that could suddenly change, and the fog that could suddenly come on them. And so it was a tragedy. It was a tragic story. 
But it's interesting that, that what happened to them, we, you know, somewhat parallels uh, what is happening every day in America. Father and son, mother and daughter, families, they drowned in a tidal wave of filth and sin in our society, and they're surrounded with the fog of darkness, and they do not know what to do. They don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn to find help. And just like uh, a Rushton and his nine-year-old son, they, were, they had a sense of loss of direction, a sense of where they were, of what was going on. And something that they always heard could happen finally had happened to them. And now they, they, had, they had drowned in the tidal wave of that situation. And that is something that I believe is happening in our world today. And the only thing that can help us uh, re, uh, uh, come out of or dispel the fog in our society and give us a hope that is steadfast and sure is the Word of God and the promise of the Word of God. And that is what the book of Revelation is. It is a book that dispels the fog in our life. It is a book that, that, that doesn't leave us directionless. It doesn't leave us at a place where we can be, where we're unaware at any moment. Listen, Jesus could return at any time, folks. Any moment he could return. And the book of Revelation is an incredible book that helps, that dispels the fog and will give us a hope that is steadfast and I'm sure. And so, I don't know about you, but I'm glad for the book of Revelation. I love the book of Revelation. But I, let me tell you who doesn't love the book of Revelation. Satan doesn't love the book of Revelation. Satan hates the book of Revelation. He doesn't like the book of Revelation. He hates the book of Revelation. Matter of fact, there's two books that Satan hates. He hates, he hates them all, really. But the two that he really hates is the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation. Because in the book of Genesis, we have the war that is against Genesis that says, in the beginning, God. How many know that we're, that, 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 that we live in a world that's at war with the statement that God is the creator of all things. He's a creator of all creation. In the beginning, God. And he's at war with the book of Revelation because Revelation is uh, uh, the last book, speaks of Jesus Christ and his coming again. And Jesus is coming. Why does he hate these two books? It's very simple. In the book of Genesis, Satan's doom is prophesied. But in the book of Revelation, Satan's doom is realized. And so, no, listen, isn't it interesting that you see no visibility of the devil in the first two chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation? You do not see his visibility there at any. Now, what that means, I don't know. I'm just giving you the fact of that. Uh, and Genesis and Revelation are books that are really connected. They really are books that are connected. They are pulled together. There are things that connect these two books. For instance, in the book of Genesis, creation, the crea we have the creation of the heavens and the earth. But in the book of Revelation, we have the coming of the new heaven and the new earth. In the book of Genesis, we see the first Adam reigning on earth. But in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus, the last Adam, reigning in heaven. In the book of Revelation, we see an earthly bride that is brought to the first Adam. But in the book of Revelation, we see the heavenly bride of Jesus Christ that is brought to the last Adam. In Genesis, we see the beginning of death and the curse. 
But in Revelation, we see a Savior that brings us to a state where there is no more death and where there is no more curse. In the book of Revelation, man is driven from the face of God because of sin. But in the book of Revelation, we now get to look and see God in his face in his, in, and look to him uh, and look on to his face. In the book of Genesis, Satan appears for the first time. But in the book of Revelation, Satan appears for the last time. In the book of Revelation is the golden clasp that brings the entire Bible together. I believe it is a book that, that brings in and ties in and clasps the rest of the Word of God together. Revelation is a book that will tie every aspect of the Word of God together and bring it into one. So tonight I want to talk about, I want to give you, I want to talk about four simple truths and put, the, upon your, and put them upon your heart tonight. And I want to talk about four simple truths of the book of Revelation out of the first three verses that we talked about. And, uh, and this is going to be a simple message. It'll seem simplistic to you. There's nothing really deep in this. But I want to simplistically share with you four simple truths in the beginning of the book of Revelation that I believe you can take away from here and hold on to, and it can be a, a life a raft for you in these times that we live in. First of all, I want you to see, number one, the central person of this book. I want you to see who the central person of this book is. Now, let's, it's not a big mystery. His name is Jesus. And we see, and we look at it, and we see in verse one, it tells us the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. It said the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so if you don't get that fact, you've missed all of the book of Revelation. Verse 2 tells us, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of who? Jesus Christ. So I want you to see Jesus in this. I want, his name is Jesus. I want you to see Jesus. And look, we are not looking as a church, we are not looking for events to happen. We are looking for a person to return. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not looking for events to happen. I'm looking for a Savior to come back and to return. And that Savior is Jesus. And if the book of Revelation, and uh, uh, if you read this book and go through this book, and you do not see the triumph of the Lamb and the triumph of Jesus Christ, you've missed everything that this book teaches and everything that this book wants to reveal to us. You've missed it, the revelation of Jesus. And it says, and, 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 and they, they, some call this the book of revelations or the book of revelation. It is the book of the revelation. It's not book of revelations or multiple plural revelation. It is a revelation. It is a revelation and an unveiling of who Jesus Christ is. It's the unveiling of Jesus. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It is singular in what it is. In other words, the Greek word for revelation here is apocalyptos, which means to uh, one word. It's used 18 times. That word is used 18 times in the New Testament, and it means to become visible. That's one of the words that it means. We get our word apocalyptus from it. We get our word apocalyptic from it. It, it comes from this word. It really means, revelation means unveiling. But this word means to be, become visible. What is becoming visible? What is being unveiling? What are we seeing? 
And the, the idea of the word is as though a... Uh, is as though a sculptor who has sculpted a statue and he has a canvas on it and he's pulling that canvas off and unveiling something to us, a work that he has done. That is what the book of Revelation is. It is an unveiling. It is a, it is a making visible. It is a, 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 a revealing of the work. It's removing the canvas of Jesus' life and now it's unveiling who he really is. And so we're going to see that what we are seeing is he is at the center and the heart of the book. The glory is going, his glory is going to be unveiled. You see, uh, when he came the first time, when Jesus came the first time, his glory was veiled. Is that not right? He came as a man. His glory was veiled. But what you will see when he comes the second time or what you will see in the book of Revelation is that his glory is going to be unveiled or revealed so far different from his first coming. And we as believers get the ability to look through the book of Revelation and we get to see that unveiling. We get the witness. We get to, to, to study and to see the coming days ahead. We get to see the days that are coming. We get to see the unveiling of who he is. We get to read about who he is and what's coming and knowing what's coming. Because when we know that, when we know that, then our confidence in Christ is steadfast and sure. In his first coming, he came and, was, and came to a crucifixion. In his second coming, he's coming for a coronation. In his first coming, he came in shame. The second coming, he's coming in splendor. The first coming, his first coming, he came and was put on a tree. His second coming, he's coming and sitting on a throne. His first coming, he came and stood before Pilate. His second coming, when he comes, now Pilate will stand before him. His first coming, he came and he was a servant. But his second coming, he's sovereign and his glory will be revealed. The book of Revelation gives us a look of the days ahead of the unveiling of who Jesus Christ is and who he will become and who he is. It's, it's interesting. It's an unveiling of a great many divine truths. Matter of fact, in this book, we're warned, the church is warned of the danger of sin and and and. And the book of Revelation instructs us about the need for holiness. It reveals the strength of Christ. And believers have to overcome. And how believers can overcome Satan. It reveals the glory and majesty of God. And depicts the, the relevant worship that constantly attends around the throne of God. The book of Revelation reveals the end of human history. The final political setup of the world. The career of the Antichrist. The climatic battle of Armageddon, it reveals the coming glory of Christ and his earthly reign during the millennial kingdom. The great white throne judgment, the depiction of the early bliss of a new heaven and a new earth. It reveals the ultimate victory of Jesus Christ over all humanity and demonic oppression. The book of Revelation describes the ultimate defeat of Satan himself. And so it is a book that will reveal. It is a book that will reveal much to us. And so today, in the hour we live in, Jesus, of course, uh, uh, he's, his, his name is, is being you know, somewhat abused, misused, neglected. It's scorned today. And uh, you don't have to 
uh, we know that, that, that sometimes that, that he is not really given the rightful place that he deserves in our culture. Matter of fact, Jesus has is, is been thrown out of a lot of things in our life. He's been thrown out of a lot of things in our society. He's been thrown out of a lot of things in our culture. And it's interesting. I, I saw years ago, I remember when, y'all remember when 9-11 happened, uh, most of you. If you remember when 9-11 happened, it was, it was an amazing thing. Uh, what happened was that after 9-11, uh, uh, if you remember, the President Bush, the day after, had a service at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., he called a national day of prayer. Uh, he had uh, 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 gathered there at the National Cathedral, uh, and it was amazing. Many of you may have watched it. Uh, I remember watching it. it. I don't know if you remember who spoke, but Billy Graham spoke and gave the message and did an amazing job. But if you remember, they sang a great hymn. Matter of fact, it's one of my favorite hymns that they sang on that day. And the hymn that they sang on that day, the hymn that they sang was, was the hymn, The Mighty Fortress is Our God. How many know that's a great hymn? Matter of fact, it's one of the favorites of the church. And uh, 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 matter of fact, this hymn has it all. It has music. It has poetry. It has theology. It has all of that in it. But did you notice that when they sang that hymn at the National Cathedral, that they sang every verse but one? And that was by design. There were those that were in the government and those that were part of the, natural, the National Cathedral that did not want to sing one of the verses of the choices of the mighty fortress is our God. Let me read it to you. This is the verse that was left out. Did we in our strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man. We're the right man not on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Do us ask who that may be? Jesus Christ is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And he must win the battle. They had purposely left out Jesus's, they did not want Jesus mentioned too much because they did not want to offend those who were unbelievers. He was put to the side, he was left out. He was left out of those verses. Can I tell you that it won't be that way when Jesus returns again? When he returns, he will not be left out, but he will return in all of his glory and all of his splendor, and he will be king of kings and lord of lords. This is a book that unveils who the king is. That's the hope we have in Christ. And so he is the central person of this book. If you don't understand that, you'll miss everything that this book is about. Number two, I want you to see the clear purpose of what this book is for. I want you to see the clear purpose. Look at verse one again. And it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave uh, to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he, he, and, and, he, and he sent and signified it by his angels and his servants. It said to show unto his servants the things that must shortly take place. In other words, he come to show his servants. Come to show his servants what? To show them the future. How many know only God knows the future? 
And the book of Revelation, what is the purpose of the book of Revelation? It is to reveal to his servants, to reveal to his servants the things that must shortly take place. In other words, he's revealing to his servants the things that are going to happen. It's interesting. That word servant is an interesting word. I can go off and preach two, four, five sermons on just that word. Let me give you a little bit of interest on this word servant. It, it, it's, it's an interesting word. Matter of fact, it's actually a very controversial word uh, in, uh, in, among theologians. And among, because the actual English translation of the word really does not set what the real Greek translation is. Matter of fact, it's interesting because many theologians have been criticized for using a lesser word to describe the word than what the real, than what really the Greek word is translated. Let me give you what the Greek translation of this word is. The Greek translation of this word is the word, the Greek word doulos. And it always translates in the Greek as slave. It always translates slave. Matter of fact, um, um, and many times in the scripture, you will see it exchanged in the English. It'll be used many times with the word servant. Matter of fact, the Greek word for servant, there's, there's six of them that are mentioned in the New Testament. None of them translates this word. And it's not like they misled. Many of them just uh, kind of uh, used a parallel of the word. I don't think there was an intention. But when you study the original Greek, the word is the, uh, the word slave of Christ. It's really what it means to be a slave. And there's times that it is translated slave. Matter of fact, the times that it's translated slave is when the, uh, when, the, when the intention is to use the literal word slave. Other times is when the word is used to describe uh, a slave to sin or a slave unto righteousness uh, and where there's that, that intent to, to, to show. But this is interesting about the word. It really means to be a slave to Christ, not just a servant of Christ, because there's the differences, and I'm not going to get too far into it or I'll get so far, I'll never be able to get out of it. But, but, but the word really, uh, there's a difference between a servant and a slave. Matter of fact, a servant actually gets paid for what he does. Matter of fact, the servant's tenure ends and he has the choice whether to stay or to go. But this word in the Greek doesn't mean that. It means a bond serve or a bond slave, a slave that is actually uh, that is without choice. And and when you read this, uh, really, a slave back in G, back in the Roman times, one out of every five person in the Roman uh, in the Roman world were slaves. I mean, it's interesting. Matter of fact, it, it was it was the lowest class of society. But when Paul translates this word. When Peter translates this word, when John translates this word, when James translates this word, I can give you the scripture. They always use this Greek word doulos, which means that they are not just a servant of Christ, they are a slave of Christ. And so here's the difference. Here's the difference. A slave is purchased and not and owned, where a servant is not. In other words, a slave is purchased, and he is owned by the master who purchased him. How many are thankful that you are a slave of Christ? You are purchased by him with the blood of Jesus. You are not your own, but you belong to him. You're not just a servant, but you are a slave to Christ. 
The second word means that that, um, you are owned and you do not function at your own will. Because you are owned by your master. And what is interesting, many of the word, the word Lord through the New Testament is not translate, is translated as master. And so what is a master? A master has slaves. And so uh, this word means that you are not to your own. You do not function on your own. Also, a slave is bound to the submission and obedience to the one that owns him. You and I are bound with submission and obedience to Christ. We are, as we are obedient to him, we are to yield our submission of our will and our life unto him. And as we walk in obedience, we are a slave. We've been purchased. He is our ownership. He owns us. But also, a a slave is someone who is dependent a servant is not dependent, but a, but a slave is dependent. He's dependent on what? He's dependent on provision from his owner. He's dependent on, he's dependent on protection from his owner. He, from his master, the one who owns him. He is dependent on that. And matter of fact, it's interesting because when you read in the New Testament, there is only one way that a, that a, that a slave could obtain status in the culture. And the way that he attained status in the culture was that his master would, would, would gain status in the culture. Because when his master was seen as someone who was uh, 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 up, looked up to, so, were the serv- or so was the slaves of that. That's how they gained status. Matter of fact, in scripture it says, it, it, it uh, talks about those who were what? Slaves in where? In Caesar's household. Matter of fact, I believe one of the books, the book of Philippians begins by talking about Paul and Paul was talking about when he was talking about being chained in Rome in his own personal house, that he not only won those who came to see him there in that house, but the scripture says that Paul would greet those, Paul uh, talked about those who got converted where? Out of Caesar's household. So a slave's status was dependent upon its owner. Your and I's status tonight is not merely who we are, but everything we are is in Christ Jesus and in Him. And our status as yielded to Him, as slaves to Christ, as those that have yielded our life to Christ, is that we, what He is, we are. But the difference in this kingdom is that as slaves, we obtain citizenship. As slaves, we obtain sonship. Woo! Isn't that good stuff to know? We're just not mere slaves, but as Christ is, so are we. See, what, what, what John is telling us here is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants, his slaves. You have to be his slave to have the revelation of what this book is telling us. Mere Christianity will never understand this book. Unbelievers will never understand this book. I wish I had time to go into that word even deeper. Maybe Dr. Sean can teach us a little bit more about it sometime. But in Revelation, this bond sermon of Christ, divine truth is hidden from the worldly wise. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? Divine truth is hidden from the worldly wise. Unbelieving skeptics. 
find that this book is nothing but chaos and confusion. Confusion. He uses the word shortly or soon, in brief time, quickly. In other words, the, the Greek word is takos, which means the uh, uh, nearness of something. Something is near. If you have, uh, have bowed a knee to Jesus, if you have taken the form of a slave and his servant, his bond slave, you have a right to the understanding of what this book reveals to us. In other words, this book is only closed to those who are unbelievers who cannot understand this book. Only those that belong. Listen, uh, there is a scripture. I don't know where it is. I wish I I had it on my mind, but I was reading it today where it says that, see, a a servant does not know uh, the whereabouts or the, the, the business of the master, but a slave always knows the intention of the master. And so when we read this book, when we read the book of Revelation, what God is doing, he's going to unveil some truths to you. He's going to unveil some things to you. Matter of fact, people who, who, uh, who have shown interest in this book have been criticized. Matter of fact, the great historian H.G. Wells said it like this. He said, he that reads and accepts the book of Revelation... He, he who, who accepts cranks and lunacy are those who read this book. And so I want to introduce you, Mr. Crank and Mr. Lunatic, because those who have an interest in this book, he said, are those who are foolish. In other words, can I tell you that the things of God sometimes can become foolish to the worldly wise? You all know that? You all understand that the worldly wise doesn't understand why we as believers, listen, they, they think it's foolishness, some things. Listen, I've had people tell, I knew I wouldn't want to go here tonight, but I, I've had people tell me that because that abortion is one of the reasons why I, I put a strict line of life in the way that I vote. They've told me that's foolishness, that's stupid, that's, that's the, you know, what's it matter and all these other issues that are going on and you're going to place everything on abortion? Well, I'm going to tell you I do. Why? Because Jesus puts everything on life and life is everything. But to the unbeliever and the unwise, they have no understanding of what it means to, to know, uh, 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 understanding spiritual things in Scripture and the power of spiritual things that are in, in, in Scripture. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, begins to talk about, or chapter 2 talks about that the unbeliever cannot understand spiritual things, nor can he discern them, nor can he know them. In other words, he can't discern spiritual things. He can't understand this book. This book is confusion and chaos to a world out there that does not know Christ. But this book is hope to you and I. It is is an unveiling of truth in our lives. It reveals something to us that we can hold on to so that our foundation can remain sure in this world. We have something to look forward to. We have something that's coming down the line. We know we're not looking for an event to happen. We're not looking for the moon to turn into blood. We're not looking for all of these things that we read in this book. I'm looking for one. His name is Jesus. And I'm looking for him to come in the eastern sky. And and the dead in Christ shall rise. And we that are 
entire life shall be changed in a moment ever to be with him. Hallelujah. Those events don't scare me. Now, if you're not going to heaven and you're in here tonight, they should scare you. Just being real. I wouldn't want to be caught here without Jesus. Things that must come to pass. Ephesians says, y'all know God's in control. Y'all know that. Y'all know, listen, I never read in scripture where the Holy Trinity had an emergency meeting. Do you all? Y'all read in scripture where, where all of a sudden God got blindsided by something the devil did? You ever see him call the Holy Ghost and the Son to an emergency meeting because something happened on earth that he wasn't expecting? No, you know why? He's sovereign. He's in control of all things. He knows all things. Ephesians 1 tells us that he worketh all things after his counsel, what? To his own will. Woo! That's good stuff. I feel the Holy Ghost in here tonight. Only God knows the future. Only God knows the future. Now, some of you old timers will like this joke. You younger folks will not even know what I'm talking about. But uh, I read a story years ago in Sierra, Nevada, where, uh, where every day a man would call the switchboard lady and ask her what time it was. And he called every day, and she gave him the time. Every day he called at 1130 and asked her what the time was. So one day she got interested and she said to him, she said, sir, why are you calling every day at 1130 and asking me the time? He said, well, ma'am, I work at the local factory and are at the local uh, sawmill. I work at the local sawmill and I blow the whistle for lunch for the guys at noon and I want to know the time so that I blow the whistle right. Well, she said, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. She says, I set my clock by your whistle. In other words, what it is, is like one after the other. One tries to, to take care of the other. That's the world we live in. We live in a confused world that cannot step over the other without the other stepping over the other. We don't know whether we're going left or where we're going right sometimes. But we know this. We know Christ is on the throne. We know Jesus is in control of all things. When I look at the book of Revelation and I look at it, uh, there are many criticisms to the book. Matter of fact... I've heard them all. I've read through them all. It's interesting. Some say the book of Revelation uh, has, uh, has already happened. It's, it's, not, it's, a, it's, a, it's a past book. It's a book that, that uh, is not looking to the future. Uh, those are called preterists. I we'll talk about those later. But they believe the book of Revelation is just a, a picture of something that already happened. They believe that when Jerusalem was overthrown in 70 AD, that all of that lined up with the prophecy of the book of Revelation. And so uh, that's not, you know, any, anyway. And so there's some that look at the book of Revelation as an outline of history. Some of it look at it as a spiritual allegory, that it's not, there's no literacy to it. There's no truth to it. In other words, uh, in other words but what John is saying is, that God is going to reveal to his servant, what is he going to reveal? The things which are to come, which is the what? Which are the days that are ahead. In other words, what he's going to reveal to John is the days ahead. Because, listen, and I want you to get this. You might want to write this down. You might want to tweet it. You might want to whatever you do with whatever you do. You might want to write it down in your Bible or in a piece of paper. Listen to this. This is a good word. This is good. 
It's not my original, but it's good. I read it. Because when you, when, when you, when you are certain of your future, you can concentrate on your present. On your present. Isn't that good? When you know your future, you can concentrate on your present. When you know Jesus is in control, when you know one day he's going to wrap all of this up, our future is sure and we know it, that allows us to concentrate on this day. Isn't it amazing? Praise God. Number two, number two, number two is this. I want you to see the, uh, or did I already read number two? Number three, I want you to see the comforting promise of this book. I want you to see the comforting promise of this book. Number one, he is the central person of this book. Number two, the clear purpose of this book. And number three, I want you to see the comforting promise of this book. Now, I want to read you something in the book of Revelation that's not talked about very much. I've not heard it preached a whole lot. Maybe you have. I haven't. Matter of fact, some preachers have stayed away from it for some reason. I don't know. But um, I've read it a lot, but I've never... Uh, really put much thought into it. I want you to look at verse 3. It says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is now near. Now that is an amazing statement. Because here is what it's saying. In other words, Those who read the book of Revelation, there is a blessing to those who read the book. Isn't that amazing? There is a blessing to those who read the book. And it says this, and it says, it gives instruction. It says, blessed is he that reads it, and those who heed it or hear it, and thirdly, those who keep it. So he says there's a blessing for those that read it, those that hear it, and those that keep it. Now, here's what's interesting. In other words, there is a spiritual blessing. What does it mean for those that read it? In other words, uh, those, those who, who read this book, who read this book of Revelation, when you read it, when you begin to read it, all of a sudden, this word begins to come alive. It says, when you hear it, when you hear it, and, and the scripture tells us later when Jesus is speaking to the seven churches, he says this, he that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying. And then there's those that keep it, which means to obey it. You obey it. If you read it and you hear it, then you will obey it. And if you obey it, there's a commanded blessing that comes upon those who read it. Let him that heareth say, come. Later in the book of Revelation, it says, let him that hears say, come, take the water of life freely. In other words, take the water of life. In other words, this book is a soul winning book. It's not about putting our heads in the clouds of prophecy, but putting our feet on the pavement of soul winning. This is a book. Let him that hear, let him come and do what? And drink from the water of life freely. That sounds like an evangelistic statement to me. He that hears it, he that reads it, and he that keeps it. In other words, I don't know of any other book that has a blessing on it like the book of Revelation. In other words, science doesn't have a blessing on it, does it? 
books of science, there's books of sociology, or books of politics. How many know politics are an answer? We know politics aren't our answer, right? We know that. But why? Why, why? why will you be blessed? In other words, why by reading, hearing, and keeping this word, why are you going to be blessed? Here's a couple of things of why you're going to be blessed. Number one, it unlocks the mystery of history. In other words, you know, if you read Eastern religions or other religions, many of them uh, are, are reciprocal, are cycle. And in other words, uh, you read about uh, Middle Eastern religions, many of them are reciprocal. There's none of them. But when you read the book of Revelation, when you read Bible history, it's not reciprocal, it's linear. In other words, it has a goal. It has a goal. It has a goal to get someplace. How many of y'all ever played checkers? Y'all ever played checkers? What is the goal of playing checkers? You play checkers to get to the king's line, right? If you get to the king's line, what do you say? King me. King me. It's just that simple. In other words, the word of God, the book of Revelation, is a book that takes us forward and it takes us to the place of the king's line. And at the end of the book, at the end of the book, we can say, king me at the end because we are standing on the king's line. I thought it was a good analogy. You know, minister, my, my, my third grade education, I guess. It unlocks the mystery of history. You say, what history? Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. He that reads it. The blessing is it unlocks the mystery of who Christ is in our lives. Number two, it, 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 brings, a sense of, it brings sense to our suffering. Now, Revelation 21.4 says this, and God... And God, let me just preface that, and God one day will wipe away every tear from, from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have what? They have passed away. How many are thankful for that? How many are thankful not only does it unlock the mystery of the things of God and the kingdom of God, but it also gives, brings sense to our suffering. Believers, listen, we go, all go through suffering, but we as believers have a hope, and our hope is beyond our suffering, beyond what we go through. You know, I, I mean, maybe sometimes, you know, many of us have had this, been at a place where we've been with people who are suffering, and we've answered this, asked this question, what do I say? Right? Y'all ever been with families or people that have had tragedies and you're there and you're with them and you're like, well, what do I say? I mean, what, what, what we, we know, I mean, what do you say to someone who's lost a child and they have to bury that child, that baby? What do you say to a family that has gone through horrific tragedy? And you know, over the years as a pastor, I've had, I've done some really I mean, just difficult funerals. I've had to sit with people in very difficult situations. And a lot of times, I don't have, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to, how to like, but all I can say is this. All I can say is that this is not God's ultimate plan. 
This is not God's ultimate plan. This is not God's final plan for our life. What is God's final plan for our life? God's final plan is, is that the former things have passed away. What are the former things? Death, sorrow, a heartbreak, uh, sorrow, all those things had passed away. And so that is the hope that we have in Christ. In Revelation 1.8, he says that he is the Alpha, the Omega. And what? It describes him as the Almighty. He's the Almighty. And so it unlocks a sense of suffering for us. But it also uh, unlocks, it gives stability in chaotic times. Christ gives us stability in chaotic times. There was an interview that was done with a high wire, somebody who walks the high wire. You ever guys ever watch people that walk the high wire? I, I'm telling you, I can't watch it. Because I'm like, it's going to be the first, the first time I watch it, it's going to be when that dude falls. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I get all, I mean, I get all nervous. You ever get nervous when somebody's doing something and you're like, oh my God. And so uh, uh, I, I, I have a hard time watching it. But they asked one of the famous high wires, uh, Bolbin, who, who had done, who had scaled skyscrapers from one skyscraper to the other without a net. Without a net. They asked her, they said, how do you do that? And she said, I'll show you. So, so she showed him, she said, this is what I do. I take this star, she had a little silver star, I take this star and I put it on the other side of that tightrope and I put it there and the whole time that I'm walking, my focus is on that star, not on where I'm stepping. Now, I, I, I thought, well, that's still dangerous. I still ain't doing it. You still haven't convinced me. <laughs> you still have. In other words, I put my eyes on that star. In other words, Here's, here's what's her words. She said, the star stabilizes me. You know what the book of Revelation does? It stabilizes the believer. So that when winds are blowing left and right and coming in and coming out, our eyes are on the eastern sky. Our faith is in Jesus. We fix our eyes on him who is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. In other words, the second coming of Christ, the promise of the second coming of Christ, what does it do? It gives you and I stability for looking forward. I'm stable. Listen, I'm able to walk through suffering. I'm able to walk through difficult. Why? Because I know, I know this book reveals to me that we win in the end. Now, for sake of time, I'm going to come, come down and finish with this. Third, fourthly, and finally, the certain, the certain prophecy of this book. I want you to see the certain prophecy of this book. I want you to look at the end of verse 3, where it says, And keeping those things which are written, and this is it, this is the certainty of the prophecy, for the time is near. For the time is near. Now, this word in the Greek is not time as in clock and calendar. This word is karos, which means, or karos, which means seasons or event. Seasons or event. Or it means 
uh, it means um, uh, uh, eminent, not immediate, but eminent. In other words, what is, what is John telling us? He's telling us that, that the things that we read in this book that are unveiled to us, that these things were written for the time is near. In other words, in other words it's not that they are coming. They are imminent. They will come. It means it's not it might happen. It means it will happen. It doesn't mean that we think that it's going to happen. It means that it is going to happen. In other words, uh, you know, Jesus can come at any moment. We are living on the edge of eternity right now. And we need to be always ready to be on that edge of eternity at every moment. Waiting for him. We are waiting for Jesus. We are waiting on the ready. Listen, this is what I truly believe. This is what I believe that we're going to learn in this book. We're not looking for an event to happen, but I do know this, that though I don't believe that we as the church, listen, I, I look, I look, we are waiting for a person. I'm not waiting for the, for the, the vials that are mentioned in Revelation to be opened or, the, or the, the, the trumpet judgments. I'm not waiting for that. I'm not waiting for the tribulation. I don't believe I have to go through the waiting of the tribulations. I'm going to show you why, why I believe that. But I'm waiting on a person in Jesus who will take it. Now, that doesn't mean that we will not go through those things which show us the signs of the times. We know that they're happening. We know that there's a desire for a one world government, a one world system. We know that there's a desire to produce and the world is moving toward one world religions. We know that the increase of knowledge is expediting. Uh, the whole world is becoming systematic. I mean, just look at what's happened recently. Our world is becoming systematic. I mean, it is amazing. I mean, I can take, I take my, my, my credit card or my debit card and I use that card. And as soon as I use that card, I get an email that I've used that card. And it's amazing what technology, what, how, how systematic things are, how systematic things can be. They can be linked to every aspect of your life. I mean, that's what's amazing. I want to close with this tonight. And uh, Celine, if you'll come. And uh, we're going to pray in just a moment. And what I've done tonight is I'm just trying to introduce you and give you just the beginning principles of this book. And when we dive into it, we're going to talk about these things. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, uh, we know the things that are coming, what we are seeing in the times. How are we recognizing we know that the worlds are at war. We know that plagues uh, and, and, and are on the earth. We know that there is, is going to be devastation that comes on the earth greater than what we see right now. We see the beginnings or the birthing of the pains of the things that we see in the events of the book of Revelation starting to come. I mean, we're starting to see them. We're not in it right now. But we're starting to see some things. So we have to be a ready church. We have to be ready people. We have to be sure people. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have to remain steady, even in moments of crisis, even in moments of the hour that we are in right now. But I want to close with this, with this tonight, to bring this home. The fact that Jesus may come at any time. 
A few years ago, Dr. Dobson, you all know who Dr. Dobson is, focus on the family. He had a program on at one time, and I remember listening to the program. I went back, and I tried to find the program today. I didn't find the program, but I did find some of the transcript. And he had on, 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 his, uh, on his program a man named by Dr. Richard Swenson. He was a doctor. He's an MD. And he was uh, what was called a futurist. In other words, uh, he studied exponentiality. Now, that's a big word. In other words, you know what that is. Exponentiality is how fast something comes about. Or, uh, you know, and he, and in, in the interview with Dr. Dobson, he was talking about how that, that history is coming to a climax. In other words, the history of man is getting faster and faster and faster and faster. And really, there's nothing we can do about it. It comes at us. We can't reverse it. When discoveries are made, we can't reverse those discoveries. Social media, kinetic energy, robotics, all of these things are coming at us at such a pace that we can't even adapt the one before the other has overtaken it. And he called it, and it's the study of an expensiality. I don't know how to say it, but it's the study of things moving fast. He gave this example. I'll never forget it. It's very powerful. Listen to this. He said, if you take the Pacific Ocean and you drain it, you drain the Pacific Ocean. The Pacific Ocean is 64 million square miles. That's pretty, that's a lot. Matter of fact, every continent on the earth can fit in the Pacific Ocean and still be room left for more. That's how large the Pacific Ocean is. He said, this is how this works. If you take one drop of water and doubled it and retained what was gained, one drop of water, doubled it, and retained what is gained, he said you could refill the Pacific Ocean in 80 times. You take one drop, double it, double that, double that, double that. Do that 80 times, and you can refill the Pacific Ocean. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's the point that I want you to see, because this is what blew me away. He said, the first 70 times, the first 70 times that you feel the Pacific Ocean, you feel it less than one-tenth of one percent. Now, at 70 times, you filled the Pacific Ocean one-tenth, one-tenth of one-tenth, one-tenth of one percent is filled. By the 79th time, you have, you have dropped or uh, you have filled it half full. And by the 80th time, it is full. And by the 81st time, you have two oceans. And in this conversation about the principle of expedient, about how expedient things are, that he talked that human history for thousands of years was on a flat line. But as, as it is in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4, when it says, and, and, and knowledge shall increase. We have, 
we have covered more since 1975 and gained more in technology in 1975. He said that would have covered 20,000 years just in those years. History was flatlined and just grew at a, at a same rate over the course of history. But when we hit 1975, all of a sudden history began to just, just like that 70th time, that drop of doubling into the ocean. All of a sudden now it went to half and now at the, by the 80th time it's full. That's how fast life is moving. That's how fast things are moving. That's how fast life is coming. And it's amazing. Come quickly. Quickly come to pass. That's what this word means. It means to quickly come to pass. And here's the thing. 2 Timothy tells us that there's coming a day when evil men will wax worse and worse. The problem is, is not the fact that we're growing at such a fast rate. The problem is, is that now evil men are getting a hold of things that they normally used to be banned from. Evil men are getting nuclear weapons. Evil men are getting weapons of mass destruction. Evil men are now beginning to get a hold of things. I want to close with a statement from Adrian Rogers. He said this. He said, when little, man, when little men cast a long shadow, you know the sun's about to go down. Stand with me if you would. I know this. I don't know what day. We do not know what day the Lord is going to return, nor do we know the hour. I don't know how long it's going to be. I know this. I know that time is expediating at a rapid pace. This word, now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's what happened since the time and you say, well, that was 2,000 years ago and not much has happened. But I want to tell you, a lot has expediated in 2,000 years. We're closer now to the return of the Lord than ever before. And I don't believe it's going to be another 2,000 years before he returns. I believe it could be any moment Jesus could return. This book is a great comfort to our lives. The book of Revelation is a book that we can take and we can be comforted by the prophecies, be comforted by the fact of the person that this book surrounds, surround, surrounded by, and that's Jesus, and the fact that we can understand the purpose of this book, that we as servants, we as slaves, we as believers in Christ can understand this book. It can be unveiled to us. And so I want to pray this prayer over you tonight as we leave. I want to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer of unveiling. I'm going to pray that God will unveil and help us understand and bring understanding to this book as we study it that your heart and understanding will come, that revelation will come to you, that you'll be able to see and be able to know and hear and be able to, to, to hear it and be able to read it and be able to keep it. Keep the Word of God in your heart. Keep it in your mind. And that it'll be a life to you, that it's a lifeblood, that our focus will be on Jesus. And though we, we're crossing a treacherous time like that high-wire walk, we can't put our eyes anywhere else but on Jesus. We can't put it on a president. We can't put it on a Congress. We can't put it on a world system. We have to put our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is our answer. He's our answer. So let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We pray, God. I pray that you open the minds of our understanding. I pray that you open our hearts. I pray, God, that as the book of Revelation is revealed into this congregation, that, God, we will, our faith will grow and become stronger. That we will have understanding that, God, that the simplicity 
of, of salvation is in our heart, but the understanding of your last days and the understanding of what's to come, the days that are ahead for us as believers, that we will be able to see and to know and to hear and discern the times, that we'll be Christians who walk with faith and power in our lives, not just words and not just words off a page, but there'll be power in our lives and anointing to do what you've asked us to do. God, as we discuss the rapture, as we discuss the coming days, the tribulation, the judgments, the unveiling of the beast, the unveiling of Satan's kingdom, the false prophets, an unveiling, but also, God, your return and your judgment and your separation of the saints and the ungodly and the coming heaven and the coming heaven and earth. Let us understand these things and know these things. Let us write them in our heart. Let us tune them by the tuning fork of this world that we can see uh, that is what is coming we know that we can be sure because of the days ahead. We thank you for truth, God. We thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.